Welcome to Coming Home with Julian Awad, where we discuss salvation through Jesus Christ, a production of Coming Home Ministries. You know, you might think out there when somebody is asked something to do that there's really only two types of people. There's the type of people that do it, and there's the type of people that don't do it. But there's really a whole bunch more. There's the people that say they're going to do it, and they do it, and the people that say that they won't do it, and don't do it. But there's also two other kinds of people. There's the kinds of people that say that they won't do it, and they do do it. (laughs) And then there's the type of people that say, oh, they'll do it, and they don't do it. Those are the people that we are going to talk about today. But first, let's go to prayer. Oh, gracious God, King of the universe, our Savior, our Lord, we love you. We thank you that today we get the opportunity to dig into your word, to dig into the truths of who you are and what you've called us to be. We ask you, Lord, as we begin to dig into this topic, that you'll open our eyes. And I pray that everyone hears your voice and not mine today. I ask God that you keep me behind your cross and help us today to take to heart what you're saying to us and to make it part of our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. A great parable is one that is an in compelling story, and yet it, it really conveys and communicates truths that God wants us to see. And it's relatable. Oftentimes we can find ourselves in that parable and you can imagine yourself there. Or maybe you know somebody that's been like that before. Possibly you've, heard, you've seen other people's actions and, and you look at that, that, that parable and you say, oh, yeah, I know, I know that person. That reminds me of exactly of, of this person or that person. Parables are such a great way to communicate things. And Jesus did a great job with parables. One of my favorite parables is this parable of two sons. I don't know if you've heard of it before. Many of us have, but it goes like this. And by the way, it's in Matthew uh, chapter 21, uh, verse 28, we start. But what do you think? A man had two sons. Now keep in mind, before we go any further, that Jesus has, is at the temple and he's been preaching And they came after him, the Pharisees and the people in the temple there, the temple rulers. They came after him and they're asking him, by what authority are you preaching? And they go through all this, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. And this is Jesus's response to them. He says, but what do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. This is how the son answered. He says, I will not. But afterward... He, the son, regretted it and went. Obviously, he went and worked in the vineyard. Then he, the father, this man, came to the second and said likewise. And he, the son, answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not. He did not go. Jesus says in verse 31, which of the two did the will of his father? And of course, Pharisees respond, the first. Even though, remember, that's the one who says, I will not, but regretted it, and he went afterwards. And Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, 
that the tax collectors and the harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believe him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Now, this was a story for the Pharisees. And it's a great story, but it's a condemning story. Keep in mind, Jesus, again, he was at the temple, he was teaching, and the people uh, there are listening in intently, and suddenly the Pharisees show up and they're like, hey, 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 by what authority do you have to be teaching these things, to be teaching the people? Because really what they're doing is they're saying, you're you're usurping our authority, right? Because they were the teachers, they were the authority there. And they're saying, you know, let me see your credentials, basically. And they know who Jesus is, and Jesus knows who they are. And Jesus turns around and says, okay, okay, you want to know? But first, I'm going to ask you a question. And he says, them, was John's baptism from God or not? His baptism of repentance that he was calling everyone to. And it put them into a conundrum. Because the, he, Jesus knew what it had been going on. The Pharisees have been going down and watching John and this call to baptism, but they weren't getting baptized. They were ignoring him or probably even bad-mouthing him. But the people knew that John had been sent by God and that the call to repentance was from God. That's what John had been, John the Baptist had been preaching, a call to repentance to prepare and make straight the way for the Lord because he knew that the Messiah was coming. That's what God had told him. So when they turn around, they realize, like, listen, if we say it was from God, everyone's going to say, hey, why didn't you follow the call to repentance then? But if we say it wasn't from God, the mob's going to be like, what's wrong with you? Everyone knows that John the Baptist was sent here by God. So they end up sitting there saying, hey, we don't know. And Jesus says, uh-huh, okay. The point is, is that he called them out and they weren't willing to be honest. And they definitely didn't want to be honest in front of everyone and be called on the carpet by it. They were in that story, the son who said yes, but didn't go. And the story of two sons, they're the ones that said, yes, we'll go work in the vineyard to produce fruit, but they never went. And the prostitutes, the thieves, the sinners, the publicans or tax collectors, as they were called back then, they're the ones that said no initially, but they repented and they obeyed and they came and followed the Lord. So the big question today, which son are you? Are you a sinner waiting to meet God, wishing there's a purpose for your life, not knowing what's going to happen when you die? Are you somebody that walks in sin and just pushes it under the rug, under the carpet? But now you're ready to repent. And maybe you're not sure how. Or are you somebody that says, yeah, I'm a Christian. You maybe even go to church. You say you believe in God. And maybe you do believe in God. But you still play the hypocrite. Your language doesn't match what you claim that you believe. Your actions Your life at work is different from your life on Sunday. 
Your life at home doesn't match. The way you treat your family, your wife, your kids, your parents. Which one are you? Are you a person who has been in rebellion all your life and you turned around and you decided to follow the Lord? And you said, I don't want to have anything to do with sin anymore. Lord, come and cleanse my heart. Determined to walk in his ways. Decidedly focused on knowing the Lord. Or are you somebody else? But the question really here is about integrity and hypocrisy. So first, what is hypocrisy? A lot of us have heard that word, but I'm going to give you the definition today. It's the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. A pretense. Let's break it down. You're claiming to have moral standards or beliefs. You claim to have certain beliefs, but your own behavior does not conform to those beliefs or claims. Do we do what we say that we believe and that we are going to do? I, I really am focused on this because it's a point of integrity. And I want to talk about integrity in depth here. But not from the way that we might think of integrity. A lot of times people think of integrity as, well, you do what you say you're going to do. And it is. Don't get me wrong. But there's structural integrity. There's engineering integrity. And that has an amazing picture when you dig down into it. Because think about it. Within the world of engineering, integrity is so important. Because the integrity, if we say structural integrity of a building, is what allows all the different designs to bear the weight of the things above it, of, you know, the the levels, the floors, the ceilings, the walls, all the different pieces of the building, all that weight compounds down onto the foundation and down onto the structural components, which holds it up. And so there has to be structural integrity. That means the metal has to be pure That means it has to be in the right place. It has to be the right size. And it has to be placed in the right locations at the right angles. It has to be bolted correctly. It has to be, all the fasteners have to be tight. And all the pieces have to be interweaving and supporting one another. That integrity, that structural integrity means it's set perfectly in the way that it needs to be in order to do the work that that needs to get done in order to have the right outcome. I love the, the idea of, of, uh, of roads. Engineers that build roads have the word integrity for their roads. Does the road have integrity? And I love it because, you know, if you think in Germany, they have this Autobahn and the Autobahn has, in sections of it, has this unlimited speed limit. You can go as fast as you want. And I've been on it. Uh, I've been on the Autobahn. <laughs> we were going quite fast and some, uh, some uh, Porsches or Porsches, however you say it, came zooming by us, even though we were going, they must have been going like uh, 100, 100 plus, maybe 150 miles an hour, something. Or They shot by us and we were even going fast. The only reason that they can go that fast is because the road has integrity. Think about it. If the road wasn't perfectly smooth, if it had even small bumps on it, you can't go at those speeds. Now imagine if the road has potholes in it, here or there. Not only can you not go at those speeds, but you can't even go at high speeds. The minute at a high speed you hit a big pothole, boom, blows the tire. Whole car comes apart, crashes everywhere. So there has to be integrity 
in those roads. And that integrity is a design, a smoothness that allows for the machines or allows for the process to continue to go completely smooth and along the way. Think about with a machine, a big factory, there has to be integrity in the design, integrity in the machines. If the machine is just slightly off, you might get a vibration and the vibration will shake the entire machine. All the pieces will come loose and it comes apart. So integrity allows for more than just doing what you say you're going to do. It allows for more than that. It allows for a process or it allows for a machine or a design. And in this case, God's design to to perform in the way that God had designed it. That all the outcomes and all the benefits would become clear. And that's so amazing when we think about it in our lives, in the life of the church, in the life of the kingdom, in this world, when we're following God's ways. There bec- and there, integrity not only comes into our personal life, but integrity comes into everything around us. And we begin to walk in the perfect ways of God and God's benefits and the amazing things about what God has designed for us to be able to understand and experience with him come alive. What did Jesus ask us to do? Let's dig in there. He says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. And if we were to do that, the benefits would be incredible. He says, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Imagine if we were doing that, how it could transform neighborhoods, communities. He said to repent for the kingdom of God is hand. And that's the first thing he says to do. The first thing he does is he calls us to repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He also says to follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He also says to pick up your cross and follow me. And he calls us to rejoice. It's important for us to rejoice. He said, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall in all manner of evil, say all manners of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. He's telling you to rejoice even when people are talking bad about you, saying things that are false about you, especially when they do it for the sake of Jesus' name. He says to let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. Not glorify you, but to glorify your Father, which is in heaven. And he calls us to honor God's law. He says, think very specifically He wants us to understand God's law and understand the the intent of it. It's a guidepost. And Jesus was very clear. He says, think not that I, I come to destroy the law or the prophets. I do not come to destroy, but to fulfill it. He didn't destroy that law. That law is there for a specific reason. It's a schoolmaster. For the lost, it's a schoolmaster to salvation. For the rest of us, it's to help us to understand God's character. And what walking with him really is. He wants us to discover it through a relationship with him. But the signposts are there to help us to understand. He also says to not lust. Lusting after another person is the same as committing adultery to the Lord. Keeping your word. Going the second mile. Loving your enemies. He calls us to be perfect. At least to walk in a direction towards being perfect. He tells us to seek God's kingdom. And to pray for the laborers. He tells us to honor your parents. To be born again. 
to feed his sheep, to make disciples. And there's many more commandments. But he ends with this wonderful one. He says there's a new commandment that he gives to us, and that's to love one another and to love us. How? As I have loved you. Jesus is calling us to not just love one another as we understand love, but to love one another as God understands love. And as he loves us, to also take that same level of mercy and forgiveness, that desire for us, and to put others before ourselves. That's the love that he's calling. He says, by this, all will know that you're my disciples. You want to be known as a disciple of Jesus Christ? If, if you act this way, people are going to know you must be a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have love for one another, that's what John chapter 13 says. And he addresses not only these commandments of what to do, but he also addresses hypocrisy in a very strict manner. And first of all, he addresses it with our relationship with him. In Luke chapter 6, he says, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? It's powerful. Matthew chapter 15, he calls out to them and he says, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teaching are merely, listen, don't, don't, don't miss this part. Their teachings are merely human rules. Human rules without a heart right for God, without knowing the Lord. Human rules are, are really meaningless in our spiritual walk with God. In Titus chapter 1, he was calling out and he says, they profess that they know God, but in works, in other words, in what they, their actions, they deny him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. Matthew chapter 27, Jesus finishes off and says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of bones and dead, of everything unclean. And in the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So what should we do? You know, we've heard all these things, so what should we do? Well, we're called to take action. And it's never too late to take action. You know, whether or not you are a believer and you've never actually committed your life to Christ, you may believe in Jesus Christ. You may believe in God. So do the demons. So does Satan. But it's about submitting ourselves to the Lord. Really calling him your king, your boss of your day in and day out living. The boss of what you say and what you do. He becomes your king. And he also becomes your savior. Now we don't try to achieve salvation by our good works. We'll never get there. But instead we accept what Jesus did on the cross. Or if you are somebody who walks with the Lord, but you've prioritized other things. You're the one that said, I will go to the vineyard. You never really did. And you don't have fruit in your life. You're not producing that spiritual fruit. 
Take action today. James chapter 1 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. This is this concept of being able to to actually produce results. So take action for the Lord today. And care only that, first of all, that it's, it's out of obedience to God and that you're doing it for God, not for other people. Matthew chapter 6 says to take heed that you do not do your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. If people see you, great. And let your good works be done so that other people will glorify God and how he has changed us and what he does through us. But make sure you're not doing it on purpose to be seen by people. God knows your heart. He knows that if that's what you're doing, there's no reward for that in heaven. That's old thinking. That's the thinking of the world. Because I'm going to go do things and people are going to see what I'm doing so I can establish my own righteousness. In Romans chapter 10, Paul addresses this and he says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, because they don't understand God, right? These are for non-believers. And going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. You see, the world does that. They try to establish their own righteousness. They establish that they're good, that they don't do anything wrong, that what they're doing is the right way. And they want everyone to know about that because they believe that it gives them authority. It gives them a foot to stand on, but they don't know God's righteousness. And now you do. You know why we do what God asks us to do? You know why we do what Jesus asks us to do? We love him. We love him for who he is, what he has done for us. We really do. It's important. It's important that we love him and that we follow him. You know, my parents ask me to do things and I do it because I love them. I'm obedient to them. Sometimes I do it because I know they're right. But at the end of the day, when they're asking me to do things, I'm really just doing it because I love them. And I respect them for everything that they've done for me. We are to fear God and to respect our, him as our creator. Proverbs chapter 1 digs into that and says, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but the fools despise wisdom and instruction. When we fear God, we respect our creator and we start to follow his ways. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's not just the beginning of knowledge to know that and to do those things. But as we do those things, we're going to be gaining knowledge, spiritual knowledge, the, the true truths, the truth of this, of the spiritual world, as well as the truth of the universe. We'll begin to see as we begin to walk in the integrity of God's calling and direction and design for our life we'll begin to really, truly grasp the things that God has done. It's the beginning of knowledge for us. And he has changed us from the inside. You know, 2 Corinthians says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. That's chapter 5 in 2 Corinthians. 
When he changes us from the inside out, we truly are new. We begin to love the things of God and not the things of the world. And as God reveals those things in our lives that need to be pared away, we jump. We don't want those things in our life. We want that road to be smooth. So we can go as fast as possible that God is desiring us to go. And that change in us helps us to love the things of God and to hate sin. That's why we do what Jesus asks us to do. There's another great verse here from 1 Peter. It says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourself according to the former lusts in your ignorance. You know, you didn't, when you were ignorant before you knew the Lord, right? But as he which has called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation. Because it's written, be holy for I am holy. Peter's telling us in 1 Peter chapter 1 that God is calling us to be like him. And he's saying, don't follow your old ways, your old lusts of how you were in the world, but to be holy in, in everything that you say in all your conversations. Be like your Lord. Be like your Father. He's holy, and he's calling us to be holy. It says that Jesus is going to have many people that are going to come to him, and they're all going to call him Lord at the end. They're all going to want to enter the kingdom of heaven. They're, wanna, they're gonna come up to him and they're gonna say, oh yeah, yeah, Jesus, Jesus. I know you. But it's not about what we say with our mouths. It's about what the creator of the universe declares. It's about his decision. He's the judge. And truly, there are gonna be many that say with their mouths or confess with their lips, but not with their hearts. And they're really, a lot of them are false disciples out there. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus addresses this and he says that not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. That word's powerful. It's like people saying, you know, my king, my king, my president, my, my boss. People have put that person in authority, but actually don't follow what they say to do. Jesus says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Do you hear that? The one who does the will of the Father. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name, haven't we cast out devils and demons? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Wow, what a condemning line from Jesus. God, I worked in all these orphanages. God, I gave money to the poor. Didn't I do all these things in your name? I said I was a Christian and I did all these wonderful works. 
Jesus, when that person was demon-possessed, didn't I pray for them, for the demon to leave? Prophesy in your name? Didn't I do all these things, Lord? Come on, God, have mercy on me. Look, look at all the stuff that I did for you. And Jesus is going to say, you never did the will of the Father, and I never knew you. You are practicing, you practiced iniquity. You did sinful things, and it didn't matter to you. You know, wise people do Jesus' commands. Matthew chapter 7 says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these savings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon the rock. Jesus is saying very clearly, these are my commandments. I'm giving it clearly to you. You either are going to do them or you're not. You're either going to be a hypocrite or you're not. And if you're going to say that you're going to do them, do them. And if you do those things, I'm going to consider you wise. You're going to be like the person who builds his house upon a rock and has a sturdy foundation with integrity of that foundation to hold you up. Not like someone who builds their house on sand, which is constantly moving and shifting. That is, that is what Jesus is saying. But he doesn't leave us alone to struggle through these things. Praise God. He sent the encourager, the helper. He sent the Holy Spirit to help us through this. The Holy Spirit's name, his name actually even means helper or encourager. And the Holy Spirit gives us revelation, gives us discernment in making good decisions and wisdom and the power to get through temptation and tough things. Paul wanted wanted us to understand this. He says, I keep asking God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glory, glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in his heavenly realms. That's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to help you through your weakness Romans chapter 8, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches out our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Holy Spirit is interceding you, is interceding for you. The Holy Spirit is is directing you. The Holy Spirit is standing in the gap for you. You have the power of God, that same power of God that raised Christ from the dead. You have that power dwelling inside of you, helping you along the way. All you have to do is purposely set your mind, call out to God and say, yes, Lord, that's the direction I want to go. And tonight I'm going to call you to repentance. I'm going to call you to repent from your sins. Hallelujah, we praise you, God. We praise you that there is that opportunity for us to repent. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord God. I have a call from repent from your your disobedience, from your lawlessness, from your hypocrisy, from your sin. Do you want to start serving Jesus today? Surrender your life. 
There's no one that's righteous, not even one. Everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have to admit that we're sinners first. Declare Jesus is our Savior. God's calling everyone, men and women, both to repent. That means not only asking for forgiveness, but turn from your sin and go the other direction. The wages of sin is death. It separates us from God. It breaks the integrity of the path that God has for us. Remember that God, that gift that he gives us, the gift of eternal life is in Christ Jesus our Lord and that he demonstrates his own love for us that while we are still sinners, he dies for us. That's incredible news. He wants you just as you are. So turn your back on sin. Call on Jesus to save you and trust him for salvation. Declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess that your, your faith and you are saved. That's Romans chapter 10. So today, just call out to God. And if you don't know what to say, if you don't know how to follow the Lord and you don't know what to pray, just repeat after me. God, I know that I'm a sinner and that the wages of sin is death. I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, as a payment for my punishment. I declare that Jesus is my Lord and I profess my faith for salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Thank you for your grace, forgiveness, peace, and gift of eternal life. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, your next step is to dig into the Word of God. Get a physical Bible and download the Bible app on your phone. Read it every day without excuse. Look for a Bible-focused church to get connected with other believers that will help you grow in the Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Just fill my heart with your love Help me share it with my brother. Help me show them you're the one And beside you there's no other I just can't be strong Even for a day This has been a production of Coming Home Ministries. For more information or to reach us, go to cominghomeministries.net.